This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, today we've got a terrific episode. One I've been super excited about. We've been trying to get uh, developer, president of Reliance Properties, John Stovell, on the program for a long time. And we're so happy we finally got him. I mean, John is a huge voice in the Vancouver real estate community. He used to run UDI, the Urban Development Institute. Now he's still on the, on the board. He's the chair of the board of directors. Right. Um, I mean, Reliance Properties owns half of Vancouver. They're, they're, They've got a huge portfolio and, and a fantastic developer as well. They're doing One Burrard Place, for example, with Jim yeah. Pattison. Um, also, they've got you know 50 properties in excess of about $600 million, worth in excess of $600 million in Gastown. So they're, they've got large holdings all over and uh, they do great work. Yeah. And so, I mean, having John on is an opportunity for us to ask questions that I think anyone would want to ask him. Where's the market going in 2018? <laughs> How to become a real estate mogul. Where would you buy if you were just trying to get into the market? Where would you buy for the best investment moving forward? And, and I mean, we, we do cover all that. But we should say, though, that our interview with John is not just investment focused. He's an active voice in, in the affordability debate, in, in the question of supply versus demand politics in Vancouver. And he, he's got an intimate knowledge of the city itself. No kidding. Right? Yeah, he's, he's a smart voice and, and a fairly prominent one. And he definitely will tell you what he thinks. So, Matt, we do have a long interview with John today. So why don't we just cut to that. Without further ado, here's our interview with John Stovell of Reliance Properties. Enjoy, guys. Hello, 
Okay, so we're here with John Stovell, President of Reliance Properties, Chair of the Board of Directors for the Urban Development Institute. How are you doing, John? Good, thanks. How are you? Doing well, thanks. Yeah, thanks for taking the time, John. No problem. So, John, can you maybe just start by uh, telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. I'm um, the president of a, a significant regional developer, a family-based company. We have specialized in a lot of heritage revitalization work over the years, uh, Gastown and east side of Vancouver. And more recently, we're doing some more significant um, new construction, uh, high-rise, both residential and and commercial. And um, I've also been involved with the uh, UDI, Urban Development Institute, for a number of years and currently serving um, as chair for a two-year two year period. been very involved in various uh, advisory groups with the city over the years, <clears throat> quite active in city policy and you know, related public dialogue around around real estate and housing issues. And John, we know your company Reliance has a long and storied history here in Vancouver. We have a lot of investors who listen to our podcast. Can you just speak? It sounds like it's a family-run company, but how how did you get your start? And and do you have any advice for the aspiring real estate moguls? <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> join a rock band. That's my <laughs> advice. I was. Uh, uh, that's the way. That's the best way into real estate development. No, it, it is, you know, a, a bit of a bit of persistence and a bit of luck. But I was introduced to the company through um, uh, through the son of the founder by playing in, in a university rock band with him. So no kidding. But that's, yeah, <laughs> but but that just opened the door. I mean, that just got me an introduction. I was already pretty active, and um, this is a long time ago. But I was doing a lot of uh, integration at that time of. Um, accounting systems onto PCs. This is just, just back in the early 80s when, when that was all getting going. And so I ended up assisting this uh, this gentleman to kind of, you know, put accounting on a computer into his business and kind of one thing led to another from there. Wow. Interesting. Wow. So, so well, Braden is our, our tech guy here and, and he just left the rock band. So yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe you have a bright future, Braden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Back, back then it was all, you know, we were the kind of house band for the, uh, say architecture school at, um, at UBC. So it was a lot of post-punk stuff and, you know, crazy stuff. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, this is a good segue to the next question. We have a, a lot of younger listeners, a lot of millennials who listen, um, and you're outspoken on Twitter and uh, and in the media more generally about uh, affordability. What what is your advice for our younger millennial listeners trying to get into the market? Well, my first advice is to is to do whatever you can to get into the market. You know, by hook or by crook, you got you just got to try to get in. But I think you know also. What I see a lot of, and it's it's disappointing, is um, you know the millennial age group, if you will, are very vocal about housing and and the disenfranchisement of their generation for getting into housing, but they're kind of vocal within their own kind of you know their own bubble, and they need unfortunately to get engaged in more conventional ways of of of, of engaging politicians instead of just kind of in a Twitter in a Twitter and social media loop. They got to get right. out to council hearings. They've got to find ways to talk to their councillors and, and municipal and provincial leaders and, and get their opinions out there. And, you know, there's it is happening a little bit. I mean, there is the emerging Yimmy movement, and it's happening a little bit. But unfortunately, it's just a bit too isolated in, in the social media sphere, I think. Interesting. You know, like Generation Squeeze is a good example of, of, of an organization that's moved into active political engagement in, you know, in terms of trying to promote um, affordable 
affordability of housing, both through regulation, but, but you know, good credit for them also through advocating strongly for more supply. Right, right. So, John, so obviously we've had a very explosive four years in, in the real estate market here in, in the Lower Mainland. Did you did you foresee that happening in Greater Vancouver? You know, as to the exact pace of the growth over the last number of years, I mean, I don't think anybody thought it would be quite that strong. But at the same time, I think we, we, we're not all that surprised to see Vancouver continue to be um, heavily subscribed by anybody, anybody and everybody who can afford to come here and, and own own real estate. And it's just a city's on the world stage now. Uh, even without that, it's a very popular city in Canada to try to come and live just from a whole series of issues, including, you know, climate and and lifestyle and, and so on. So it, it's it's not that surprising. And we've certainly, you know, our company certainly has gone long and stayed long in, in Vancouver in, in, in anticipation of that continuing, you know, with various levels of incline. We expect it to kind of go on indefinitely. And, you know, I think it, it pays to kind of look back a little bit. Vancouver has always been unaffordable when it comes to real estate. I mean, you can find articles. There's a guy on Twitter called Grids, I think, who posts historical articles all the time of EMB and NIMBY issues back into the 20s and 30s and newspaper articles right. about how unaffordable it was. I mean, I bought my first house in 1988 in Strathcona, and I had a first mortgage and a BC government second mortgage, and I put the balance of the down payment on the credit card. I mean, it's it's never been easy, right? <laughs> You know, you, you can make the mistake of thinking you live in a unique time, and you probably don't, and, and, and it kind of lets you let yourself off the hook. But I think for young people, you know, they shouldn't think that Vancouver saved a special level of pain just for them. I mean, it's it's always been tough. I, I think it's particularly tough now, but they have to get more engaged politically. Right. So you don't foresee any uh, any changes in the market, at, at least in the short term? I think we are getting more from just market conditions and government action in this regard. I think we are getting some pretty healthy supply coming into the pipeline now and mm-hmm. water rental getting built, but it's going to take a number of years to land it. We could see some some easing of rents and some easing of prices in parts of the city, but you know, I think really the overall trend is going to continue to go up. Right. Mm-hmm. We're we're actually coming to you live from Strathcona here. What areas are you most excited about in Vancouver right now? Um, we're very active on the Broadway corridor. Of course, this is related to, you know, the just out of reach holy grail of transit funding for <laughs> for, <laughs> right. the, for the for the Broadway line and uh we're we're also active in Surrey and Central Surrey. Um we like the east side of Vancouver. We have a couple of large development sites on East Hastings and the Hastings Rise area. And more than anything, we continue to be bullish on the downtown. I mean, that's where we have a lot of our property, where we're doing a lot of our development. And I'm also, you know, a firm believer that that the Vancouver is downtown is not even close to getting to being built out. You hear this all the time. <clears throat> you know, downtown's built out. We have to go build everywhere else. Well, Downtown Vancouver, you know, about 25-30% of the properties are under 10 stories. Right. So what we're going to see, in fact, I'm I'm in my um, home in Cole Harbour right now looking out at the uh, Empire Landmark Hotel, which is, you know, close to a 40-story building that's getting torn down right now for new development. And I'm looking out the other window and looking at the site of the West Bank's Kengo Kuma Tower on Alberni, and I'm looking at tear down a, a 10-, 12-story building, and I look across the street out the other window and I see – two eight-story office buildings are going to get torn down in the next while. So we're going to see um, a, an intensification of land use that we're, we're sort of not used to. 
And a lot of these buildings, even though they seem to be big buildings still coming down because the land under them is just able to hold so much more density. Right. I mean, one of the things that's always struck me is that the West End seems so underbuilt. If you walk down places like Pendrel or, or Comox. Yeah. And, you know, yet it's very sensitive. And, and you know, there's this, it's funny, the West End is a sort of a snapshot of a development boom being brought to an end by a moratorium. If you look at all those sort of four or five story, three, four story stucco walk-ups that you see when you're wandering around through the inner streets in the West End, and then right next to it, there'll be a 12 or 14, right. 14 story building from the 60s. And what happened is that development boom was going underway and it was put to an end by a moratorium and they stopped building all those medium-sized buildings. And so that, that West End kind of got frozen like that. And and then more recently, and this was in the 60s and more recently under the West End plan, the city of Vancouver's West End community plan, they sort of did it again. Now, credit to them, they, they created some good density along Georgia and Burrard a little bit along Davie, where we're currently building a rental building. But all those inner streets have been left as that sort of in amber kind of freeze of the 1960s between the old three or four story walk-ups and then these kind of 50s, 60s, you know, 12 to 15 story uh, apartment buildings. So that, that, that area is quite underutilized. So John, we have a lot of investors that listen to the program as well. In terms of an investment, where would you buy if you were looking for real estate in Vancouver right now? Maybe under the $2 million mark. <laughs> <laughs> That's tough. I, uh, I mean, I think, you know, <clears throat> you know the, the political reality is that um, the planners and the politicians are unwilling, for the most part, to drive density into the green leafy streets of, of any neighborhood of Vancouver, even the West End. So... For the foreseeable future, the majority of development is going to happen along the arterials. Mm-hmm. And say you buy anything you can on any arterial anywhere in the city of Vancouver, you know, uh, Nanaimo, Victoria, Maine, Fraser, you know, um, particularly the north-south arterials, uh, Broadway, 4th Avenue, you know, just, just anything you can because eventually it all gets assembled and developed. So you either have a development site if you if you can buy a big enough piece or you end up being a part of one and you know you get bought out in the future i I think it's a really good idea to if you have a business like let's say you're a consultant or you're a web developer or something like that or an architect just buy some kind of little office building or storefront where you can run your business and and go about your business and do your work and you'll find out at the end of the day you made more money waiting you know sitting on that investment than you did working it reminds me of bing tom i think was quoted a couple years back where he said you know, he was engaged for 40 years in, in his business, and I think he made more money on his house on the west side. Than- <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so, John, um, the NDP is going to be announcing their budget in February. Um, they've kind of indicated that there might be some changes coming to housing policy. Do you have any predictions of, of where they might go with that? Yeah, I mean, I think this has been talked about a lot, and, and you know, we our industry's quite engaged with them, and I have to give credit to this new NDP government there. <clears throat> They're, um, they have their ideological perspective, you know, as you would expect, but they're also good listeners. They're spending a lot of time talking to industry, and I think they're being quite careful about what they do and judicious about the things that they're going to bring in. They have to do something. Some of the things we think we might see is um, maybe increasing the foreign ownership tax, extending the foreign ownership tax to other municipalities or at least giving those municipalities the opportunity to do that if they want. 
there's certainly going to be some type of increased reporting to government or even potentially the public about pre-sales, what's the so-called pre-sale registry. Those are a few things. So there might be a speculation tax that places a higher taxation on profits from selling real estate if you haven't owned it for a significant period of time. Or there's this other model that gets talked about a lot, which is that if you own any real estate, there'll be like a surtax on it, like a capital tax. And you'll get that tax back if you can demonstrate that you're filing tax returns in the province. Right. So this is really to tax wealth that's that's sitting on real estate but not participating in active business in, in the city. We might see some changes in BC assessment that, although I expect those will be slower, that open up more tax classifications to take the tax burden off things like community retail and maybe rental apartments. Uh, that's another one. One of the things that we're really worried about, though, encouraging them strongly not to do is to tinker further with the Residential Tenancy Act because they've already taken away fixed-term tenancy. Right. And there's a lot of rental being built right now, but it's a very, very delicate pro forma equation. And with rental, you know, interest rates starting to climb, um, you know, if they do anything further to make it more difficult to get a good reliable income stream from rental apartments. They could see literally thousands of units that are planned for construction right now go to the sidelines <clears throat> and, you know, maybe convert back to condo. So they should be really careful about that. Mm-hmm. And and that's been an issue, right? That it, it just financially doesn't make sense to, to build rental when you can. <clears throat> yeah, it does now because it has anyway for the last couple of years, because, you know, cities are inducing rental with extra density. Interest rates are low. It's a popular asset class for capital. And rents are high, you know, ironically and kind of perversely because strat condominiums are so expensive and because the stress test rules that have come in from the federal government are making it harder for people to buy. So people are getting driven to rental, so those driving up rates. So the irony of it is every time they put tax measures in to try to drive away demand for condos, all they really do is make them more expensive, which drives more and more locals to having to rent, which increases rents, which they then – constrained further by making it harder to build rentals. So it's, it you know, government's got to really think carefully about the unintended consequences of their policies. So can you speak a little bit more, John, about uh, about the types of policy changes uh, they, that you think would help affordability generally? Well, you know, you won't be surprised to hear us yeah. say supply. Um, you know, I mean, it, it just astounds me how much time we spend arguing about this, you know, is it 3%, 5%, 8%, 10% foreign buyer, even 20% foreign buyer market, as though that 20% is driving the entire market and, and we keep looking for, you know, the sort of, you know, phantom menace of foreign buyers when, when, when what's really wrong is there's no inventory. There's no inventory of townhouses. There's no inventory of new apartments. And any market, any balanced market, like in single-family dwellings, or the resale market, they say that you need six months of of unsold listings to represent a balanced market. Well, in any kind of new home pre-sales, there's zero months of unsold inventory. Right. So, you know, why we keep focusing on, on, on these, you know, spurious demand issues when we should be looking at the fact that we're not getting our supply to market. It takes, you know, Three to seven years to get a permit for a major project in the city of Vancouver. Yeah, no, it's, it's <laughs> the backlog is startling. That's for sure. Yeah, and then on top of that, there's there's simply not enough land that's zoned and ready to go. You you know you have even in an area like Canby Corridor, which is you know I would argue is underbuilt even under the new new developments that are going there. 
Um, every single building is a rezoning, even though they know exactly what they're going to look like and how high they're going to be and all the design guidelines. You have to go to city council for every single building, you know. And and what what the city has done is they've created all these new community plans like Grandview Woodland and the West End Community Plan. Even there, they've said you got to get a rezoning every single time. So there's there's this burdensome entitlement process. You don't even know exactly what you're going to end up with, and it it takes way too long and it's way too risky. So, John, a lot of people are critical of the development industry calling for more supply, largely because they believe you have a vested interest in it. How would you respond to these people? Well, I mean, I've never written a check to a political party or a politician unless I was asked. So it's not like we're knocking on their doors, throwing money at them, shoving money through their mailboxes. Right. Um, we do we do donate to political campaigns. Thank God we don't need to do that anymore with the new with the new rules. Mm-hmm. But of course, of course, the development industry is interested in influencing who's in government because our our industry is incredibly connected to government. And and as I've just been describing, every single building we go to build, one building in Camby Corridor, we have to go off and make an appearance before city council. So we want people on city council who understand our business and understand the needs of the public that we're trying to build for. So this is just a natural consequence of the fact that our our business decisions are regulated by government. And, you know, I, I don't think that that's going to change. You know, the funding is going to be different, but we're going to continue to try to encourage good people to go into government and people understand our industry and you know it is ironic too that you know the people screaming the loudest right now for new supply are developers and you know it's kind of counterintuitive right i mean when supply is low prices are super high but there's actually a win-win there where we can argue for more supply lower prices build more volume in a more predictable way make the same or maybe even more money but people will still be able to buy for less so we're trying to argue and get the market to a win-win where we can build faster cleaner for a better price and and have a better business and have people be able to buy for less. You know, in fact, the construction development industry is the largest industry in British Columbia right now. And it, just as an aside, John, are you, are you guys having trouble finding skilled labor? Like, is that a yes? This is an, this is a problem. So, um, even if all the supply was that we wanted was approved, it would be very very hard to to rapidly uh, build into that because of the capacity industries and development industry. And they're not being enough of anybody. Everybody's too busy right now, right, from drywallers to, you know, structural engineers. But if that supply was there and more predictable um, and the pay- and the timelines and the pace of development was more predictable, we would see that capacity that industry build over time. The problem is it's so notchy the way things get done that it's hard for the industry to respond to rapid changes in, mm-hmm. in demand. Maybe as a, a last question, we know you're a busy guy, John. What does the outlook for 2018 look like? Is it is it a good time to be buying in Vancouver? I think so. I, I, I think that the market's tempering a little bit right now in certain asset classes. I think maybe towards the back end of 2018, third quarter, is, is probably going to be maybe the the softest patch we're going to see in 2018. And then I would expect it to kind of, you know, start to strengthen again. You know, interest rates going up, uncertainty around the provincial government policies, um, and just general uncertainty around NAFTA and other things are, are, are probably making 2018 just slightly more soft and a little more opportunity for buyers than uh, 
than has been certainly in 2016, 2017. Right. Yeah, that's, that's we, yeah, that's our thoughts uh, as well. And we're talking to a lot of people. It sounds like you're in line with uh, with this kind of consensus out there right now. Yeah, but again, you're talking about going from like super unaffordable to like really unaffordable. Like it's it's still right. going to be tough. Right. And you know, people are going to need to find ways to you know put money together. And you know, I also think that there's opportunities in some of the suburbs that are a little bit kind of under the radar. I think New West and and Surrey are still really good opportunities for certain level of affordability that won't last long. Yeah, we've had a lot of people buying in New West, especially. It, it seems like, you know, the walkability, closest to the SkyTrain, just yeah. a great little community out there. Yeah, and it's, it is coming into its own finally. I've been watching We have a very big site there right next to the SkyTrain station that we're getting active on now. But, you know, it's been on the shelf for a number of years while, while Burnaby got built out and Central Surrey got built out. Is Burnaby a model? Like, it seems like places like Metrotown and Brentwood, it seems so much easier to build uh, for developers out there. Like, is that, a, should Vancouver, the city of Vancouver, be looking at, at Burnaby as a model? Yeah, I mean, Burnaby's approach to entitlement is fantastic. I mean, they, they have a, a very, they have had, anyway, it's falling apart a little bit now. They have had a very transparent method to densify and pay community bonus, community amenity charges. They've been very bullish about height. They've been very willing to radically densify. And it really has paid off. Although the mistake they did make is, they didn't scale up their building permit department at the same rate that they started issuing major entitlements for big towers and stuff. So now there's a lot of disgruntlement in Burnaby for developers because it can take, you know, almost a year and a half to get a building permit. And some people are having to refile their disclosure statements, things right. like that. Right. So, you know, these municipalities got to be careful when they when they scale up one thing like entitlement and they collect their money. They also got to spend some money and hire more staff to process building permits. So, John, we do have this segment called The Five Wire. It's five quick questions about uh, your experience in Vancouver. Can you stick around for that? Yeah, sure. Okay, great. So, uh, favorite neighborhood in the city? Gastown. Gastown. Uh, favorite bar or restaurant? Shambar. Oh, that's quick. <laughs> Downtown Pentos or Westside Mansion? Downtown Pentos. Where do you bring someone from out of town, the first place that you bring them? Probably Gastown. 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 And uh, last question, are you uh, political party-wise, liberal or NDP? Mm, liberal. Liberal. All right. All right. Great. Well, thanks so much for taking the time today. That was a fascinating discussion. I think it's something that our listeners are really going to enjoy. Absolutely. And okay. John, how, how can people find out more about Reliance Properties? Oh, we have rubs, our website, uh, reliancepropertiesca Excellent. And, Which and, we're just redoing who isn't, right? Yeah, no kidding. And we should yeah. say I follow you on Twitter, and it's a good feed to follow for sure. Oh, thanks a lot. Okay. Have a great day, okay. John. Yeah, bye-bye. Take Bye. care. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with John Stovell of Reliance Properties. That was one of my more enjoyable interviews that we've had in the past couple of years on this podcast. Really interesting conversation. Glad we finally got him on. And uh, yeah, that was great. Yeah, it was fantastic. I mean, it's one thing we we talk a lot to people that are very engaged in the city, but John Stovell is operating on a level that uh, that few people get to. So it, it was really interesting having his thoughts. For sure. For sure. So Matt, maybe before we quit for the day, 
We really appreciate the ratings on yeah. you know iTunes and other various platforms, wherever you listen to the podcast. If you want to give us a rating, that's the biggest compliment that you can give to us other than getting in touch. And uh, we read all of them and we really, really appreciate it. And if you want to learn more about the podcast or the host of resources that we have, go over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Uh, we now have a live news feed that's being updated every day. Every uh, single day. Every single day. Several times a day. Original content. Uh, contributions uh, and moving forward from content. around around the uh, around uh, the country, so that's awesome. We also have the old standard research tools. Yeah, and Matt, you know, just quickly before we get to the research tools, I just want to flesh out this uh, the contributors of the, to our podcast blog now, which is VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We've got actually what we're doing is we're we're hand selecting individuals right across Canada and industry experts in Vancouver to actually write about what they're seeing on the ground. So what we're really trying to do is is get this to the next level of being your number one source for on the ground news. And uh, it's fantastic. It's analytical. There's stuff there. Go check it out. And there's also tips, tricks. I mean, we're relying on their expertise for analysis, yeah. but also, uh, but yo-yo, also tr- yo-yo tricks. <laughs> it's uh, I don't know if they're tricks. There's tricks. There's, there's tricks. tricks. Real estate tricks. Stay tuned for more tricks. So if you are thinking of buying or selling in 2018, please do get in touch. Absolutely. And uh, there are actually resources that you can basically capitalize on right now on our website, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Matt, what are some of those resources? I mean, head on over to our website, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. There's a button that says Research Tools. It's right there. We got private client services. That's that research tool we have for all our clients. It's, uh, yeah, If they say if you're not using PCS, they say. <laughs> this um, is what they say. If you're not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. And really, if you're a buyer or seller not using PCS, you should be. It is the most effective tool to monitor the market. It gives you realtor-level information, sold prices, days on market. It has a really useful map function. And I've, it's updated 36 to 72 hours before public MLS. Yeah, so be the First it's person crazy to see if you're not the listing. It. That's right. We also have an app for your phone uh, under the same button. So if you like walking around using augmented reality to see uh, what's for sale in uh, this on the street you're on, if you're in a building, this service is available to you. But we're, we're also, laughing because it seems so ridiculous. But, but it's, it's actually true. It's some true. people use it. It's really neat. You, you've got augmented reality. Uh, you can you can just push a button. A virtual realtor will help you put in an offer. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, uh, it's scary. that's a lie. <laughs> yeah, that that part is not actually true, but it is true. It's got augmented reality. It's got days on market. It has a, a basically a map function where you can see listings in any price point, uh, any type of listing at any point. So it's really user friendly. Head on over to our website and you can pick that up as well. And finally, Matt, how can people get in touch with you? 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com and Adam. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. And Mr. Uh, Brady D. Oh, Brayden, no. Jeez, no, no, again, every week. Brayden at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. At least you got the website right. That's good. And uh-huh. it's a it's a Braden with a Y as well. Yeah, Braden yeah, with a Y. Get it right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Brayden. Thanks, thanks, Brendan. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.
Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the and way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. <laughs> 